Let's pray together. Father, the holidays, whether it's Christmas or Easter or any other holiday, often bring a lot of noise. It's a lot of things that go on with families and friends and events, a lot of exciting things, sometimes sad things, Lord. And often the noise can choke out sometimes the the true meaning of what we gather to celebrate. But Father, we pray for the next few moments as we reflect on your word and we reflect on your great work of redemption, that the noise would be cleared away and that we would see Jesus. Only you and your spirit could do that, Lord, so we pray in his name that you would do this. Amen. You know, the idea of resurrection, the thing that we celebrate today, um, is really everywhere. I don't know, if you have the eyes to notice it, you'll find that it's really everywhere. Uh, there are so many movies, too many to count, that have the idea of resurrection in them. Whether it's the hero that dies or the heroine that dies in the movie, very often, following an, a, a, a heroic act of self-sacrifice, they are resurrected from the dead. So many movies do this that I, I would spoil half of them if I named them. And so many movies do it that now when the heroine or the hero dies, we just look at it and say, oh, they're going to come back to life. We just know it. We just know that that is what's going to happen because it happens so, so often. It becomes so common that we almost now expect it. Now, why is that? Why is this, this idea of self-sacrifice and this idea of resurrection so common in our culture nowadays that it just pops up everywhere and we expect it so much? Well, the real truth of it is because it is the true story. It is the one true gospel story that all other stories rip off or share from or borrow from because it is the one true and wonderful story, but also because this idea of resurrection is the thing that we most desire, and it's the thing that we most hope for in life. You know, in my mind, this becomes the best apologetic for the resurrection, A lot of pastors will get up in their churches today and they'll share with you all sorts of proofs as to why the resurrection should happen. Good logical points and eyewitnesses and different accounts that'll prove that the uh, resurrection actually really did happen. But ultimately, believing in the resurrection is a matter of faith. But it's one that speaks to the deepest desires and the deepest hopes of our lives. Because the idea of resurrection is central to the story of redemption but it's also central to the story of humanity and what it means to be human. And it's why Peter makes it the central focus of this sermon that we just read selections from. The book of Acts that we just read from is is a book that talks really about the first few steps Jesus' followers uh, took after Jesus ascended back into heaven. We know the gospel story that Jesus Uh, came to this earth, that God took on skin. He became man. He was born to Mary and Joseph. He ministered for three years, and then eventually he was executed on the cross on our behalf. He was laid in a grave, and then on the third day, he resurrected from the dead, and for 40 days, he went around and showed himself to his disciples. He showed himself to his apostles, and at the end of those 40 days, he gave those apostles a mission, a very powerful mission, and that was to be his witnesses, and to spread this message of the gospel all throughout the world. But he said, before you get started, wait. Just wait, because a helper is coming. And in Acts 2, we read about the Holy Spirit coming in a very powerful way to Jesus' followers. 
He came in such a powerful way that he gave them some some very special abilities. It says in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus' disciples, when the Spirit came on them, all of a sudden they had this ability. This ability to speak this message of the gospel in all sorts of different languages that were all around them. And what we know from Acts chapter 2 is that uh, many people from all over had gathered into the city of Jerusalem. There was a religious festival called the Feast of Weeks, and it was a religious festival that, that Jews from all over the world would travel to celebrate together. As they traveled, they would sing these psalms, these psalms of ascent that we looked at all through the Lenten season. And then they would arrive in Jerusalem and celebrate this feast, the Feast of Weeks, where they would worship God. Well, it says during this feast that the Holy Spirit came to the apostles and gave them this incredible ability to speak this gospel message in all sorts of different languages, in all sorts of different tongues, so that people could hear this powerful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their native tongue. This incredible, miraculous event happens, and then Peter stands up. When all this is happening, in front of thousands of people that have gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world, and he begins to preach this first sermon. This first sermon that was ever centered around the person of Jesus Christ, and the centerpiece of this sermon becomes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very thing that we celebrate this morning for Easter. And Peter highlights three reasons. He highlights three reasons why the resurrection is essential not just to the story of redemption, but also to the story of humanity and to the desires that we have at our deepest, most inward person. The first is that the resurrection is Christ's victory over death. The resurrection is Christ's victory over death. He says in verse 24, God raised him up, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Uh, Over the past uh, few years, really through my whole life, we've had people, whether it's family or friends in my life, that have passed away. People that have dealt with with issues in life, with health issues and all that sort of stuff. And often there, there comes to be a point when someone is, has become gravely ill. There comes a point when uh, we realize that treatment or medication is no longer going to help the situation. So the treatment and the medication stops, and at some point that person becomes resigned to the fact that they are going to pass away. And sometimes it's that resignation that is the, that is the hardest point that comes when someone is facing death. We have a friend that is just going through this right now. That has just decided to stop treatment and has realized that life is, or their life is about to end. We have a friend suffering through that now. And it's one of the most hardest things that we have to deal with in life. You know, I believe when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden for the very first time, perhaps the bitterest part of that sin, the bitterest consequence that came from that sin, or the bitterest part of the curse that God brought on humanity, was this thing called death. It often becomes the most painful experience that you and I have to walk through in life, not just our own death, but seeing the passing of those we love and care for most deeply. And there's a finality to it that just seems inescapable, just something that seems so sudden and final to this thing called death. But even in the garden, even after God pronounced this curse at the very beginning, God began to hint at something that he was going to do. 
He began to hint at a moment when he would come and reverse all that had gone wrong in this world. He promised one day to come and to beat this thing called death. And what we celebrate for Easter is that Christ at the resurrection beat death. Like a prize fighter who's standing over his opponent in the ring, Jesus dealt the knockout blow to this thing that we call death. He could not be defeated by the worst foe that humanity has ever known, and that is sin and death. And what the resurrection tells us is he is now working to reverse all that had gone wrong in the Garden of Eden. Doesn't mean that death still isn't painful. Doesn't mean that death still isn't hard. It doesn't mean it still isn't one of the most difficult things that we have to deal with in life. But in Christ, the finality of death, the suddenness of death is removed. One author put that in Jesus, the boundary or the membrane between life and death has now been broken. But the second thing the resurrection does is it establishes the kingship of Jesus Christ. Peter says this in verse 33. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you are seeing and hearing. This week was uh, spring break for our kids. And we would have loved to have gone on a big vacation, but we just couldn't do it. So we did a day trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, on Wednesday. And my oldest son has been asking, begging, to go see the Lincoln Memorial. For whatever reason, he just really wanted to see it. So we jumped on the Mark train, we jumped on the Metro train, and then we got off on the Metro train and walked like forever till we got to the farthest monument away from mass transit, and that is the Lincoln Memorial. And everybody was complaining on the way as we made this pilgrimage, and then we get to the Lincoln Memorial and we see it. Of course, you've You've either been there before at some point in your life or you've seen it, but it's this, this amazingly beautiful monument. I think it's made of marble with incredibly uh, ornate sculptures all around and uh, these beautiful huge columns and this high vaulted ceiling. And you climb these massive steps in front of the reflecting pool and then you walk in and, and there you see good old Abraham Lincoln seated on, on this chair. And the words behind him, which I don't always, I never noticed when I was a kid, but I noticed anew and afresh this time. The words behind him say this, in this temple, as in the hearts of the people from whom he saved the union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. You know what struck me when I saw it this time? Uh, Maybe it struck me never before, is almost the religious imagery that is used as you see this. It's not called a monument, it's called what? It's called a temple. And it talks about how his memory is enshrined or enthroned on the hearts of those that will come after him. There's all this kind of kingly uh, 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 religious imagery that's attended to this monument. But if you know history at all, you know that Abraham Lincoln, no matter what he did and, and how great he was, his body lies in a grave somewhere in Illinois. And actually, incidentally, his killer lies in a grave just a mile or two down the road from us in Greenmount Cemetery. You see, even the best kings that have happened all throughout human history, the greatest and most wonderful presidents that we've had or celebrated or we build monuments to, all have passed away, and they all lie in their graves even as we speak. 
But Jesus Christ did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, he is alive, and he is enthroned forever. You know, Peter tells, uh, in the, we didn't read all of the sermon, but Peter tells several selections from the book of Psalms. And if you've read the book of Psalms before, you know that it was written by King David, known to be one of the, the greatest kings in Israel's history, the one that, that most looked up, that was most luck, looked, up, looked up to by the nation. And before David died, before David died, God promised that a greater king would come. A greater king who would beat death. A greater king that would fulfill all the hopes and desires of the people of Israel. And the Jews were expecting this. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they were waiting for this king to come. For this king to come and to sit down on his throne. But their pictures of this king were were of a political sort. They were expecting a political king that would come and would free them from the political oppression that they felt under the Romans in the time of Jesus' day. Just 150 years before uh, Jesus came to, to, to earth and started his great work of redemption, there was a Jewish revolt. It was a Jewish revolt that was, read by, that was led by an individual named Judah Maccabees. And for a while, Israel experienced uh, political freedom, the thing that they most deeply desired. But even that leader, that leader, leader who was given all sorts of messianic titles, even that leader died and the kingdom was reconquered. So the Jews once again had to wait They had to wait for this perfect king that was promised to them by God, this perfect king who would come and restore the kingdom of God on earth. But then Jesus arrived, and he was a king that the Jews didn't expect. He was a king that was very different. He was one who could not be conquered by death. He was one who would beat death. He was a king who came not to free the Jewish nation from any sort of political tyranny, but he came to free his people from the tyranny of sin that exists in their life. See, the scriptures are clear that without the resurrection, there would be no saving, there would be no kingly power to Jesus at all. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that without this resurrection from the dead, our preaching, what we are doing here, our faith would be worthless. Without the resurrection, death would have won and its finality would be installed. One writer wrote, the good news, the great news of Jesus is that with his resurrection, it becomes clear that he is Messiah and Lord, but that in death he has dealt evil itself, a blow from which though it still retains some power, it will never overcome. You know, many people believe in in what theologians call a dualistic world. If you've ever watched Star Wars, that's what dualism is all about. It believes that in this world there are the forces of good and there are the forces of evil and those two forces just continually battle one another and never, nobody really knows uh, how it's going to turn out. Nobody ever really knows how the battle is going to be won. But the gospel story tells us that a king has come to vanquish death and evil. And that we experience a taste of that kingship now. But one day we will experience that kingdom, that kingship and that kingdom in its fullness. The third thing that Peter tells us about the resurrection is that the resurrection is the fuel for this very gospel message that we proclaim. 
He says in verse 21, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. When I was uh, younger, I took a course on the book of Acts. Uh, and uh, we looked at each and every one of the sermons. There's lots of sermons in the book of Acts. If you ever read the book of Acts before, there's lots of sermon material in there. And I can remember the professor looked at us one day, and he said, what you need to know about the sermons in Acts are three points. Every pastor needs three points, right? And he said the three points that are in every sermon in the book of Acts are this. You killed him, God raised him, and we are witnesses. I took great comfort in knowing that that is the, that is the crux of every message that's in, the, the, that's in every sermon in the scriptures. You killed him, God raised him, and we are witnesses. Now, why was that so important? Why did it become the consistent message that Jesus' followers proclaimed as they went from city to city? And the reason is because it is the only message that carries with it the very power of God. And, the, and the, the writer of Acts tells us, Luke tells us in Acts, that when Peter preached this first sermon, 3,000 people were converted in that moment. You see, at this point, there was only about 120 followers of Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, as Peter preaches this powerful message of the resurrection and God's Spirit comes down, 3,000 people are converted in one day. And history tells us that Jesus' followers went from city to city planting churches all over with this powerful message of this gospel, with the powerful message of the resurrection, and the whole first century world was transformed. So much so that within just a few hundred years, many historians number the followers of Jesus Christ in the millions because this message of the resurrection had such power. You see, it was the resurrected Christ that gave the gospel message some power, gave the message such power. It is the power that infused the movement of the church that began in the first century, and it is the very power that fuels the movement of the gospel, not only in our world, but in our city, in our neighborhoods, and in our lives as well. One author said, join this movement. Allow the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to become the badge that you wear, the sign of your identity, with you and your children sharing in the new life of the baptized community. See, the truth is, when we gather here on Sundays as a church community, without the resurrection, we're nothing more than a special interest group. We're nothing more than a social club if the resurrection is not true. But of course, we know what the scriptures say. And we know that the resurrection is true. And because of that, the words of life are wrapped up in this community of faith and in this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter tells us about the reaction of those that heard this resurrection message for the very first time. And we often have to search in our own hearts and and ask our own selves, not just at Easter, but But all year round, what will our response be? What will our response be to this good news of the gospel? What will our response be to the resurrected life of Jesus Christ? What will our response be to his victory over death? Well, as you look at the the responders to to Peter's sermon that day, you see two things. They responded in faith and they responded in awe. It says in verse 7, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of, the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, those first responders responded to this message of the resurrection with faith. They responded with faith that believed that Jesus did that Jesus came and he died. They believed that he was resurrected on the first day of the week. They believed that, that and they trusted in the, that that happened in time and space and in history, but they also responded in faith, believing that what he did was the very thing that brings you and I life eternal. They believed with faith that it was the only source of life, the only source of victory over this thing called death. But they also respond with great awe. It says in, in uh, verse 43 that awe came upon every soul. You know, when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it ought not to just give us fresh faith, but it also ought to stoke in us praise, amazement, all at what Jesus has done in gaining victory over death. It ought to make us bow and worship him in awe for his greatness. It ought to make us forget about worshiping all the other things that tend to clamor in our world for our attention, all the other things that that beg for our affection, that beg for our worship, that beg for our desires. It ought to make all those other things pale in comparison to the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was resurrected from the dead. So this Easter season, as you reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my prayer for your heart and my prayer for my heart as well is that God would sow seeds of fresh faith and all in our lives as to what he has not only accomplished in history, but what he has accomplished in your heart and my heart and what he makes available to you and I in the gospel of Jesus Christ.